There's also, I think, a very common feeling that we spend less of our time creating and making and doing things with our own dexterity in hands these days than we used to do in the past. That's because we have video games now. Yeah, video games are awesome. (sighs) If only we could take our love of reading to a new level. Well, I've always wanted to start a book club. Book club! Four! Massacre! And other deviants. Hello and welcome to the Book Club for Masochists, where we read and discuss all the genres and types of literature, regardless of our actual interest in them. Every month, we read books from a new, randomly picked genre. Then on the podcast, we discuss our reading choices, experiences, opinions, appeal factors, and other related topics as friends and library workers. This is episode number 185. And this time, we are talking about crafts and crafting. Spooky crafts and crafting. (laughs) For some of us. (laughs) Yeah, definitely for some of us. My name is Jam. I'm a librarian in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Stolo people. My name is Matthew. I'm a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA. And my name is Anna. I'm also a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA, which is the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples. My name is Megan. I'm an archivist on the unceded traditional territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe, which is also known as the National Capital Region of Canada. Announcements. There's a book list in the episode description and on our website, bookclubform.com. What kind of book list? Well, if it's your first episode, we do book lists of the genres that we cover uh, of books by authors of color. So check out the uh, episode description and our website for a list of crafting books by uh, BIPOC authors, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color authors. Excellent. Um, and now it's it's been so long since we've talked. It's been so long since we've spoken, and I know we spoke just like last week. However, for our listeners, it's been 1,000 years since they've heard us. <laughs> and in the meantime, I got to see Megan in person, which was super exciting. And you've just dipped oh, your hair yeah. into your tea. I did. <laughs> oh. That also amazing, but for a different reason. Yeah, thank you, I guess. Yes, what an October we had. Uh, thrills, chills. Excitement, crafting books. So, who made a thing? <laughs> Wait, no, that's not what we do. Craft. What do we mean by crafts? <laughs> not witchcraft. So, not no spells. I believe. Well, I guess someone could have done that, but I that was not the area that I was thinking. Do you, Do you have a definition, Jam? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, I feel like the intro to one of the books I sort of read. I listen. Upfront, I did a, a, a bad job this month, though there are circumstances. Um, and also craft books in general. I, I Listen, I looked at a lot of craft books. Did I read the text on their pages? <laughs> Debatable. Um, uh, but the introduction to one of the books that I have uh, has a uh, like sort of dictionary definition, craft to make or manufacture an object, objects, product, etc. with skill and careful attention to detail. Uh, and then goes on to opine a a more uh, expansive definition, not necessarily more expansive in terms of, a, a, you know, a longer, more heartfelt 
definition than than the the dictionary definition, a very personal definition. Hopefully, one that allows for like absolute lack of skill, but yes. like sincerity and interest in doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. My the book I read was interesting in that it said that because um, it talks specifically about needlework, and it said that um, this is often associated with women, and for this reason, considered a craft and not a true art form. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it's like, where is the line between art and craft? Where does that fall? Um, and I think that there is definitely like a historical gender bias in this area. It's it like it would seem to me that there is. Mm-hmm. I think there's also maybe a, a functional bias. Like if the thing that you're making is intended to have a practical use, that's some of it as well. Like the quilt on your bed as opposed to the quilt you hang on the wall. Would you consider like building a bicycle a craft? If you do it by hand, like a one-off. Not an art. I don't know. I don't know what to consider it instead. (laughs) or like the books that are about like here is how you build a shed outside back of your house does that count as a craft or is that a whole different thing Mm, like i I think the woodworking especially it's like the the fiddly bits on it might like might be craft while the rest of it is not craft in some people's eyes i feel like woodworking especially on that like how do you describe the level in which you're just making single items at a time as opposed to a manufacturing run is to me a craft especially if it includes elements of of like you said jam care and attention to detail yeah um i, I want to read a, a another sentence from from this page which is uh i get they don't maybe don't intend it to be a definition of craft the the sort of product of of crafting but uh, i like this this sentence Crafts express our taste and personality in a tactile way and are the physical result of the time and creativity that goes into a project, which I think encompasses a lot of a lot of things and gets to something important about crafts, which is like having a tangible thing at the end. Is building a Lego set a craft, Matthew? No. Or is it a hobby? <laughs> hobby. But at the same time, it's like, how different is that from... Um, doing a uh, cross stitch or a crochet project where you're following very specific instructions, um, that like step by step instructions to build a thing that someone else designed. Um, and so in some cases, you could say that it is, it is a craft. I think that's fair. That's, that's a fuzzy line. We have some expectations that maybe the crafts aren't made out of plastic or, uh, pre-designed pieces but that's not necessarily how everybody experiences crafts if you buy a kit like you said of needlepoint or embroidery or uh friendship bracelets made out of plastic do you remember those old little bead things that you put in little plates that had little like little posts on them you put the little beads on the plate and then you could put down like a piece of Mm, of, oh yes of uh plasticky yeah what's the little paper that you bake on and then you run an iron over it and it like melts them together beads that are just like beads that are just like little tubes perler beads yeah i don't remember what they're called at all yeah they're little tubes yeah little beads that are tubes that plastic tubes the different colors and you made little images out of them Mm-hmm. I feel like that's my 90s childhood speaking. 
I made a lot of bead lizards. But then you get into things like model kits and stuff as well. Um, or even in some ways, one of the things we did last month was went to a vintage video game festival thing where uh, because I was the only one that entered, I won first place in a Uniracers competition. <laughs> and they gave us prizes, which were keychains that someone had made using a laser cutter. Nice. Um, and so, like, does that count as a craft? Like, if someone had made it out of, like, wood versus plastic, like, what what counts, you know? This is that interesting, like, makerspace versus crafting space and how mm. there's a little bit of gendering mm. and things going on a in there, too? A lot of gendering <laughs> in that area. Mm-hmm. I, I do love that, like, these are the sorts of conversations that I think if anyone is still listening to this podcast – is like finds amusing and interesting. It's like, what is a craft? <laughs> Everything is a craft. <laughs> yeah, totally. This is definitely what we get listened to for because otherwise, I don't know why, but these are funny. <laughs> I, I still just go back to that assignment or discussion we had in class, Anna, where we were asked to define furniture. And like, I, my definition was like a non abstract thing that could be virtual. Because, like, because furniture in like a video game is still furniture, and like, if a pencil, if you make a giant pencil, that's furniture, um, you know. And so, and then that other person, Anna, was one of the people in our group, and then another person never was in it. Worked with me on a project again. <laughs> they were just like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. One of the people in the group you live with, <laughs> the other person, peaced out. One hundred percent, yes. So Anna knew what she was getting into. yeah that was early that was yeah um so what have we made in the past that we would consider crafts have we made anything that we would consider crafts and have we read craft books to do it or have we used other methods craft is one of those things in which my experience is largely being taught to do a thing by another person as opposed to reading a book and figuring it out same yeah i was talking to my mother a couple weeks back and she was talking about reading a, a knitting pattern because that's one of the things I find baffling about like the further steps of some of the textual textile crafts like knitting and crocheting is that if you want to do the patterns, you have to be able to read the pattern and it's uh, challenging <laughs> because they use a lot of abbreviations and you kind of have to figure it out. She was like, so I had this French pattern. And I was talking to my French friend, and neither of us could figure out the pattern, so finally we went on YouTube, and YouTube told us how to do it. It's interesting you bring that up, because I totally thought about that this month, where I was like, man, this is what I would now go to YouTube for, not to a book for, because I want to see people do the thing and hear them like describe it, and get different options for different ways that you could do the same thing. Like, um, I, a friend back in undergrad taught me the basics of tatting. Which is just like a version of um It's needlework, right? Like embroidery? Yeah. It's kind of like a needlework, thank you. I couldn't I was like trying to think of like thread string, what what should I <laughs> yeah. But it's like needlework is a good way of putting it. What 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 would you describe the things you make with it? There's so lace is the mm. most common yeah, it's it's basically um tatted lace is the most common version, but you you make all sorts of different things out of that. I've never gotten particularly good at it, but I've picked it up on and off just to like play with the fact that I know how to do this. But every time I pick it back up again now, I 
like I've looked at books and borrowed them does not help me. I go to YouTube and find various different like like you can use either little shuttles or like the long straight needles and they're different versions of doing the same thing. And so it's fun to see like the different tools being used to do the exact same task and things like that. Um, but yeah, I was totally thinking about like this is the thing that I go to YouTube to get not books to get these days. But the books have fun pictures in them. Um, in terms of actual skills, I know how to crochet. Um, I can sew, uh, hand sew. I, I haven't used a machine in long enough that I would not say I'm able to. Much the same as knitting, I learned how to knit and I can't do it anymore. I think that's it. I have been cross-stitching for the last several years. Um, and I worked really hard last night to finish the project I've been working on for the last year and a half because I wanted it to be done before we did this episode. Uh, and I picked that up because I think my mom gave me a present of like a Pusheen, uh, cross stitch kit, a tiny little box. Cause you always find those, like those things for, um, it's like in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Those little box kit things. Or like just like weird little kit. So this, this was yeah. a tiny little thing, like very small. Um, which we still have he did and we have it around here uh and uh so i learned how to do it from that book the tiny little book that was included um and then i went and found uh a designer of cross stitch patterns on the internet who's old kits um called the witchy stitcher uh and they're all spooky and creepy and like halloween themed um and uh they're great i love them those so i i shared the picture of the one I finished yesterday with some other people and someone was like, I wish these existed when I was younger. Cause like I did cross stitch when I was younger and it was all just like puppies and bunnies, flowers, flowers, just really boring stuff. And they're like, yeah. I would have loved this when I was younger. And I think it's really interesting how like the internet has allowed like niche things like this to exist. Uh, like you want, spooky cross stitch kits there's so many people that will sell them to you online but if you go to like a store you're not gonna find them um which i think is interesting unless it's like maybe at halloween but also this tied into a conversation i had with that person with like how one of the things that i'm surprised doesn't exist and definitely should have existed in like the 80s and 90s were like video game cross stitch um because pixel art cross stitch is pixel art that that's what cross stitch is. It's pixel art on fabric. Um, and so all of those characters can be very easily cross stitched. And like, there's very few official products released. Um, and you will have fans that have like, I've cross stitched every Pokemon, you know, and stuff like that. Cause like they've, and they've taken the designs from like the game boy version or something like that. Um, and I think there's like, like we said earlier, like there's this very gendered things where like, the cross-stitch kits did not exist because the people making video games and marketing video games were men uh, who did not think of cross-stitch as a thing they could do. Yeah, and thinking of male audiences. Yeah, definitely. Although now I'm just thinking of like a Call of Duty cross-stitch kit, uh, which would be very funny, at least. That's not pixel art, though. I also have done cross-stitch, but unlike Matthew, I've never really finished... No, I finished one or two small projects. I've long, long since lost them. I deeply sympathize with that like complaint about it's all puppies and kitties and things like that 
because I was getting them, you know, from whatever your local craft store was. And that was a lot of what was available there. And so I have done it. Never got particularly good. Haven't really finished many projects. Um, and then I've done the tatting. Never got particularly good. Haven't really finished much of anything. But I, you know, vaguely know how to do it. I have knitted exactly one scarf. That's that's it. That's the full component of my knitting knowledge. Have not crocheted anything. I don't really know how to sew. Uh, haven't done quilting or anything. No woodworking. I you did, made rings. You did metalwork. Well, I did a class and yeah. how to do. So in in undergrad, I did a class on um, glasswork. Um, so I made a variety of little glass um, ornaments and things. And then in after that, a few years later, I went back and was just like, there are cool classes like that that you can take from universities. I should go find another one. So I did a metalworking one and made various random bits of jewelry out of that. And those are fun to do. But again, it's not like I like stuck with them and kept doing them. It was just fun to learn the thing. My background with crafts, I uh, went to and then worked at a summer camp for many years. Um, And so I mentioned bead lizards, uh, did a lot of those, made a lot of bracelets, did a lot of of just, yeah, I feel like learned a bunch of like super simple craft things there. Um, In high school, in my senior year, I got really, we did a um, project, uh, a line of cut project, and I got really into that and like bought some of my own supplies and made a few things uh, and have not picked that up again. It is like... I mean, I, yeah, I really love how it, like, the final product looks, uh, but it is, um, I feel like I just got a little out of, out of practice with it and then was like, this is hard. <laughs> yeah, lino cut, if you don't know, it's similar to, like, a woodcut, like, printmaking with, with, like, a, a linoleum um, slab that you carve into. Uh, it makes really cool, fun designs that you can reuse. Uh, and I also, yeah, used those those few that I did make um, on my own time uh, for some uh, zine making, um, which I feel like, uh, yeah, zine making, definitely a craft, but uh, a lot of the zines that I made, I like laid out on the computer first and then printed out. And the only like hands-on thing I did was stable them together. Um, but there definitely were a few zines that like I used line of cuts and, and had more uh, hands-on details to them. Um, I learned how to knit at some point. I'm pretty sure a friend taught me. I think I, I also made one scarf, uh, for Ian, which he does not wear because it's not a good scarf. <laughs> and, uh, I'm pretty sure I have like two unfinished knitting projects in my closet that have followed me from the East Coast <laughs> to the West Coast of Canada. And more, more recently, yeah, I have like a lot. I feel like I have craft supplies around, but have not done crafts in a long time. I, I think there was a period when I was younger, like late teens, early 20s, where I really like enjoyed and had a lot of time to make handmade gifts for people. Um, but uh, do that more, much more rarely now. Um, uh, I I did some like small paintings for for a friend a few years ago, but I don't know if we're considering like painting on canvas to be a craft. I mean, if we're gonna let the boundary between arts and crafts be a little fuzzy, then why not? Just realized I've got one of my afghans that I crocheted behind me. Mm-hmm. 
I have an afghan that my grandma crocheted behind me. Oh, that's one of the nice things about textile crafts is they can be passed on down through the generations. Me? Hmm, I also have underneath my microphone a pot holder that my stepmother made for me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> a microphone holder. <laughs> yes. I mean, I really like it. It's a bowl-shaped pot holder, uh, which is very convenient when we use it as a pot holder, but I've been using it as like a microphone sound minimizer for like the last six months. <laughs> oh, costumes. That was the other thing I've done stuff for. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. We have a, a box that we have carried around of random crafting supplies that are mostly just like costume making supplies that have traveled around with us over time. Yeah, we used to go to like a lot we of costume parties it. in Vancouver um, and sadly not as much anymore. Yeah, we used to do it a lot. Not so often anymore. I have a trophy on the shelf behind me that one of you crafted that is the costume contest from your Halloween party some years ago that I won. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. The spider costume I made out of an umbrella. That, that was a good costume. Yeah, right. the little mechanical mm. spider. Yeah. I was Tiger Millionaire, if people are curious what won the costume contest. Yeah, I was going to say, Jam, no one knows what your costume was even then. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? you had three people who were judges and one person knew what my costume was. And the other two people were like, I don't know what Jam is, but it seems like they're, they <laughs> exhibited some effort. It seems like they're accurate <laughs> to whatever they're supposed to be. An attempt was made. Mm-hmm. A, su- a successful attempt. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I I I painted a little tiger nose. I uh, made my own dollar sign tie. You, you were a fictional wrestler. Mm-hmm. I was a fictional wrestler from the Steven Universe universe, uh, and shopped around at several thrift stores to find things like pink translucent uh, flip flops and purple suspenders. So, how? What search strategies did we use for finding books? How did we decide what? type of craft we were going to read about if we did decide that so this is one of those uh genres in which i had a few things on like the the bookshelf of things i might want to read someday uh for crafts that i can actually do so they had to do with uh mending techniques sewing techniques and uh crochet uh, but I also picked up a couple things just because they had really pretty covers, which was a bad search strategy in this case. But, you know, sometimes that's what happens. Yeah, I also thought I would do some mending stuff. I've got some pants I want to fix. Um, and so I just went to the library and like borrowed like a dozen books about mending. And then I read none of them. Yeah, we emptied the local public library of mending books, but they are sitting here being unused in our house instead of at the public library. <laughs> they'll they'll get returned tomorrow. Um, yeah, I did some some keyword searches, like just so, like sort of general ones for crafts and and browsing the results, and also some looking at like I was like, what is the like the you know, when I back when I had the hopes that I would do some crafts this month, like what is the level of project that I'm up for this month? Uh, and so didn't didn't go for for knitting or, or crochet or um, any project that I thought would take more than one afternoon. Uh, and so I have a, a paper craft book. Um, I checked out a bunch of ebooks for various like kids crafts to to research them for. 
partially research for my uh, new position as a, as a children's librarian soon. Um, and uh, I also just picked some uh, pretty cover ones, um, specifically ones about like, uh, like textiles and, and more like fabric based uh, arts, like not, not knitting and um, crochet, but like, yeah, stitching and textiles. Uh, and then I have one that I got just from going to the young adult section and browsing. Cause I also felt like uh, what crafts do books do we have for young adults? I feel like those would be on my level. And I ended up grabbing one that is not a like how-to book. It is a crafting history book. Uh, yes. Yeah, so since Matthew knew that he wanted to get those mending books, we went to the local public library and he went off and looked for the mending books. And I wandered through different crafting sections to see if I could find something. Um, like you, Jam, I also was like, something that's actually possibly doable in a short period of time with minimal effort and no extra supplies. <laughs> All of Anna's making time is spent either used doing Minecraft or uh, Two Point Hospital or Two Point Campus. So if she's making something, it's virtual. Yeah, exactly. So I needed that virtual making time. So uh, so I went for um, lettering books was one thing that I did, like hand lettering. Calligraphy um, sort of things? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, they're not really calligraphy. They're like, it's just like uh, attractive, nicely drawn lettering for like cards or zines. That was what I was thinking. Um, I, I guess it depends on how you define calligraphy. They actually have definitions in there for the difference between lettering and calligraphy in one of the books. It's very funny because I also have a book on lettering in the other room. Just about comic book lettering. Yes. Different different situation of lettering. Yes. We were waiting for the for the comics to drop. <laughs> yep, there you go. Uh <laughs> and then I thought about doing uh a tatting book because that is like the of all of the crafts, probably the one that I most relate to actually doing and, and think of myself as doing. Um but I was like, eh, I'm not gonna pull that out right now. Don't feel like it. And then the other one, though, that I did get one book on is Matthew recently got a little crochet kit that he wants to do for uh, a project that was for it was for my birthday. He got the crochet kit as a little thing for me. Um, and how many months late? A few. Uh, he hasn't started it yet. I started. And then realized he better stop for a moment and figure out more of what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, so I I got a crochet book that's like a, you know, super basics, get started with crochet. It's, it's a dinosaur, by the way. That's what I'm making for Anna. So the textile book that I really, really liked <laughs> flipping through that I did not read. And in part, I didn't read it for the same reason that I didn't do any crafts this month. Besides just not having time. Um, I hurt my back earlier this month. Uh, and so sitting down has been complicated for me, uh, and still is, um, I'm doing better, but still not like, can't like, I I'm going to have to stand up at some point while recording this podcast. Um, and, uh, this book that I ordered came in like, uh, a few days after I got injured and, um, it was too, like, too heavy for me to bring home was the real issue with it. Uh, and I also didn't end up doing any crafts this month, I feel like, in part because 
Yeah, sitting down has been hard. I certainly can't sit down on the floor. And that is like the place where I do crafts, I feel like. If I'm working on something, I will clear off a space on the floor, put newspaper down, uh, and uh, do do crafts on the floor. I guess depending on what it is. But like, if I think about like the space that I currently have, I don't have a dining room table or anything. Um, so if I need like a lot of flat space to work on something, I'm doing it on the floor. And that's a no-go for me at the moment. Um, so the book that was too heavy was uh, Resilient Stitch, Well-Being and Connection in Textile Art. I think it's very fun and ironic that um, I couldn't read this one because I hurt myself. <laughs> when it is about... Yeah, it is about uh, textiles and and fiber arts and like yeah, tangible craft work as as being, uh, you know, something that's good for wellness and healing and and mental health and um, connecting to your your community and and in- includes some like how to things, but also uh, in- includes context about like, uh, you know, crafting mindfully and and uh, things like that. So that's resilient stitch. It would have been extra ironic if you'd hurt yourself while like picking up this book. Mm-hmm. If, it was, if it was that large of a book. <laughs> I mean, you did hurt yourself by picking up something that was basically a crafting object, didn't you? I did. I hurt myself picking up a box of uh, button makers. <laughs> yep. That tracks. They're too heavy. The dangers of being a youth librarian. Yeah, for sure. So yes, the the other books that uh, I did at least bring home, <laughs> whether or not I read them uh, to to different extents is is questionable. Um, paper plus craft: twenty five charming gifts, accents, and accessories to make from paper. Uh, this is by. Uh, Minhee and Truman Show of Paper and Cup, which is like a stationary company. So it does, it, it's a cute book. It's got a cute dog on the cover, but it does have a little bit of a like corporate feel to it. Um, and the crafts in it, there's some fun and interesting ones. I feel like paper crafts were appealing when I was looking for things because I was like, I could do a paper craft. That won't take that long. I did a paper craft this month. I made that pumpkin. Oh, well done. I got a laser cut pumpkin that I glued together. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think, yeah. Appealing because they feel doable, but uh, also like looking through the the book, I'm like, this is going to get damaged so fast, <laughs> which is <laughs> the problem with paper crafts um, is they've got on the cover this like uh, string of flags and there's like a spot in my house where I kind of want to put a string of flags. But I'm like, if I make them out of paper... They're going to like get the first moist day. They're going to be useless. Yeah, curl right up and look sad from there on out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just turned my head and realized that there are two two other books that I took out under a pile. I checked out two uh, sort of ecological recycling focused craft books. Uh, which I enjoyed flipping through. Uh, the first one, Recreative, 50 Projects for Turning Found Items into Contemporary Design by Steve Dodds. I felt like this one had projects that looking at them, I was like, that is something that's actually practical and I would like in my home, um, which, you know, sometimes like the paper book, not not as much. Um, but a lot of them require that you have like very specific items. Like the cover, there is this very cool clock made out of a metal tin. And you basically like, if you have 
a clock that you're willing to take apart and an antique metal tin. <laughs> this is a really cool little clock, but you kind of need both things. Otherwise, like going out and buying a clock to take it apart doesn't feel super environment environmentally conscientious to me. But it did have some neat projects. Uh I regret not watching the DVD with this next one. Trash Origami 25 Paper Folding Projects Reusing Everyday Materials that came with a DVD. Uh, I I feel like this is going to get weeded any day. Because <laughs> I don't know how many books with DVDs we're checking out anymore. Um, yeah, sort of a similar thing where maybe midpoint between the first two books that I mentioned where it's like, Oh, some of these are fun. I kind of need the like kinds of paper that it is. And also they will last like an afternoon. <laughs> like I I can make a little like crown and towers game out of some cards, but uh, how long is that? Am I going to hang on to that? Is that going to stay usable for very long? Possibly not. The craft history book that I mentioned, um, which I wish I had spent more time with, but also another thing about it being hard to sit down is that it's hard to read books when sitting down is not easy. When I sit down all day at work and get home and just want to either stand up or lie down, uh, it's not the best positions for reading. Uh, but the history book was Crafting Change, Handmade Activism Past and Present by Jessica uh, Vitkis. So I read the intro to this one. I flipped through some of the projects. It seems really interesting. Um, the first project that um, she talks about in the intro is a craftivism project. Uh, she made a Department of Homeland Security blanket. Um, so like quilted together a blanket featuring the covers of the, the colors of the Department of Homeland Security um, like alert system. Um, which I just think is a fun, funny idea. Um, but there is a wide spectrum of various uh, crafts um, for for different um, causes around different places in the world, different like levels of impact um, uh, profiled. And in the introduction talks about like, uh, yeah, it, I think it is a great book for youth in particular because it's like you can't vote yet. You don't have any money um you have so much control over like yeah what you can do and what kind of impact you can make um and so i think the idea of like making a like tangible object um that uh you know represents or, or raises awareness or or um yeah speaks to something that you care about deeply um is is appealing when there's there's uh, only so much within your power to do. And those are the books that I sort of read. Yeah, I um, didn't even sort of read mine, actually. I, I didn't even really get that far. I did open them up and look through them and have some vague opinions about them based on that slight process. Um, but the two that were on hand lettering that uh, I pulled out and looked at were hand lettering creative alphabets for any occasion plus how to get started by uh Tai Dong Graves and then the other one is mastering hand lettering your practical guide to creating and styling the alphabet by my Delian I, I think you'll find this one is actually has the title uh Yes, it does have a bunch of random uh, hand letterings in different styles done on the front, and they are not in any kind of 
like readable alphabetic order that makes any kind of meaning. So yes, it does say something like Dijigua Okbenesis at the on the cover. <laughs> um, that, that would be amazing if so. If you came in and be like, I, I'm looking for this book called. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, I hope that's in the additional titles field. <laughs> oh my gosh, for I this. really hope it is. Yeah. Anyways, there's a librarian insider thing for the, <laughs> the <laughs> librarians listening. <laughs> um, so of the two of them, I, I like I. They both look like interesting looks at this, and they both have sort of introductions to what is hand lettering and what are the major sort of conceptual components of it, and and um, like you know. The, kerning and serifs and um you know just all the spacing pieces and thoughts that are going into it um but i hadn't really paid attention to the second part of the title in the first one which is uh creative alphabets for any occasion so (laughs) there's not actually a huge amount of explaining how to do it and then it just goes into a bunch of um pages that are just layouts of the alphabets right in different styles like um different types of hand lettering styles uh, for the alphabet. And there's not as much like how to aspects of it. Um, whereas the other one, the one that I kind of liked a little bit more was the mastering hand lettering because it really, like, it's a lot more focused on how do you figure out the spacing? How do you map out each of the curves and loops that's going to occur? How do you like lay it out so that you can actually make those specific strokes or fill in that particular section um, in there? So I think that that's a little bit of a better one for like truly – this is not a thing I naturally have the capacity for. <laughs> this is f- – Going outside of my area, my handwriting is terrible and I have very little patience for making it any nicer <laughs> um, or doing anything fun with my lettering. Um, and this would like actually give me the um, step-by-step pieces of it to figure out where does a serif go? How do I measure it out and figure out where it sets in there in relation to the rest of the lettering or the re- rest of that letter so that it looks proportionally correct for what I'm trying to achieve. Um, whereas the other one is more like once you have a few basics down, here's all sorts of alphabets you can create. Um, so I, they probably work well together. Um, but I probably needed more of that, that second one, the mastering hand lettering by my De, my Um, not that I did any hand lettering at all, but I can see it being useful if I ever decided to do this or grew the patience to actually like, do anything about my absolutely atrocious handwriting. I also do zines by just laying them out on the computer because nobody wants to attempt to read my handwriting. We do have a typewriter. We do have a typewriter. I have done some things on the typewriter. Yeah, I think that is, is can be one of the challenges with craft books. Um, finding that balance between like the introductory thing to like allowing people giving inspiration or giving them specific projects they can work on. Yep. So the one I read, um, I read Creepy Cross Stitch, 25 Spooky Projects to Haunt Your Halls uh, by Lindsay Swearingen, which is a cross-stitch book with with spooky Halloween-y patterns. Um, and so the beginning of this goes into some of the stuff about like how to do cross-stitch, like the tools you need and stuff like that. But the majority of the book is just patterns. And... Um, I found the book because I read it as an ebook 
uh, that I downloaded from the library and was using in the Kindle program on my desktop, on my laptop, completely unusable um, because I could not zoom in on the images. I could not increase the size of the images. And so the, the cross stitch patterns work by giving you a, like, like I said earlier, a pixel art version of the image. So it's each, it's broken down into squares and each square is a different color, depending on what color thread you're supposed to use for it. And the images were too small. The squares were too small to even tell apart what they were often. Um, and so as an ebook, not useful to anybody. Um, I feel, uh, maybe if you're like, I guess maybe I could have put it on the television, you know? Um, but that also doesn't seem like a good experience. And, uh, so I think that's a challenge with some of these things is if you're, what platform you're using them on can really, um, affect how useful they are to you. And so, yeah, it had some cute patterns and stuff in it. I don't think I'm going to go back and do any of them. Uh, I can see other people enjoying the ones that were in this book. Just don't, don't borrow the ebook version is my advice for this one. Try and pick up a physical copy if you're interested. I picked up a couple crochet books as well, as I mentioned. One Matthew already owns. It's called A Crochet World of Creepy Creatures in Cryptoids. 40 Amigurumi Patterns for Adorable Monsters, Mythical Beings, and More by Ricky Gustafson. Um, it's, it's a 2022 publication. And then the other one is Chonky Amigurumi for Beginners by Sarah Siasik, uh, another 2022 publication. And they both talk about how, like, this is something that kind of exploded during COVID because lots of people were home and a little bit more time on their hands. Um, the Amigurumi thing threw me off a little bit because it sounded super cool because it, it, it's Japanese, I guess, for a little plush doll. Um, and it's the kind of thing I've seen my mother do forever, just not under that particular title. And there were a couple of patterns that I thought were cute, had um, plushies and monsters that I might um, eventually, someday in the future, maybe get around to. But one of the things about crafting like textiles is you need the, the raw materials. And while I own a, a crochet hook... I don't have a lot of yarn on me. It's not something that I have collected or carried, carried around, both because I've moved around quite a bit and also because, uh, like, it can get expensive <laughs> to build up a stash um, and deal with your stash. So um, I took a bunch of pictures of the patterns I thought I might get back to, and then uh, I returned them. It's also... Like, the beginning one did a little bit of extra work of explaining how to crochet, um, which is helpful. And um, the author points out that uh, while their book focuses on chonky plushy dolls, uh, all you really need to do is choose a smaller um, yarn size and a smaller crochet hook to do smaller versions of the same patterns they have in the book. So that was that was good. That was pretty neat. We do not have that book. We just saw it in a bookshop. Oh, I thought you picked it up. No. I wish we had. It was it's, very it's, cute. It's very cute. Uh, but I don't think we would have done anything from it. We would have just looked at the pictures. Probably true. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in the hand sewing vein, I picked up Simple Hand Sewing 35 Slow Stitching and Mindful Mending Projects by Laura Strutt, a 2022 publication, and Borrow and... Saskiko Harmonious Imperfection, The Art of Japanese Mending and Stitching by Shannon and Jason Mullet 
Bullsby, the Sheba guys, who have apparently put out over 300 patterns and 11 associated books. And so the simple hand sewing one uh, is a problem like Anna has mentioned in which if, like they're interesting projects, but if they're not something that you have on hand or actually wanted to do, it's not a super useful book. It's like, ooh, someone did a project. That's cool. That's not for me. Um, whereas the Borrow and Sashiko book um, was really interesting because what it does is it... It's like these two guys who are super geeking out over um, a traditional craft that came up basically because of poverty. <laughs> so the idea is 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 like patches over patches in order to hold the fabric together because the the people who were practicing this craft were too poor to buy new clothes and were heavily restricted on the types of fabric and colors they were allowed to use. Um, and so they go and, uh, they explore people's different collections of this textile work. Um, and then they get down to like real brass tacks in terms of explaining how to do the stitches, how to use the, there's a special thimble that you use for this kind of work and a special needle. So instead of on your thumb, like you may have seen before, it, it's on your palm, it hooks around a finger. And so there's a particular technique that they walk you through and they try to explain all the various techniques and aspects of this sewing technique so that you could use it to do the kind of mending, the kind of patching that I've seen um, on the internet for a while now in terms of vis visible mending um, and that kind of patchwork stuff. So I appreciated that book the most. I feel like it will be most useful uh, because I own clothes and they always at some point seem to need to be mended. <laughs> I feel like this will be useful, even though I don't have the particular tools described in the thing. Um, I understand well enough how the t techniques are working to hold fabric together in such a way that you preserve the life of a garment. So, I appreciate that you use the phrase down to brass tacks in this particular <laughs> episode. <laughs> Thank you. Which segues into the next book where we was how to make brass tacks. Yeah. <laughs> so in how to make brass tacks. <laughs> um, what you said, Megan, though, about like needing the material on hand, I think can be definitely a challenge of getting into any new craft, um, especially for libraries, because you can't just go to the library and borrow a book about any of these things if you don't already own the tools. And they can be kind of expensive for some of the stuff that you're, you're doing. And I think this is one of the reasons why kits are often so popular with this. And so like if you go to like a big chain bookshop and you go to their discount section, they're always filled with like kits of like how to do any number of crafts that come with a book and also like a bunch of the material you need to, to start out. Um, or you can go online and buy them and things like that as well. Or you go to like a craft store and they'll have them. And at the same time, the other thing that I think you still see if you go looking for it are craft magazines, which are like the opposite side of that, of like a kit. It's like people buy these and it's like, maybe you make some of them and you're probably just going to like throw it out at the end of the month or something, you know, like um, kind of. No, 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 no. They end up in people's uh, crafting rooms and giant piles for decades and decades until their child inherits them and has to figure out what to do with them. My mom has knitting patterns, like just falling apart sheets of magazines that are, I swear, 70 years old. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
and that's stuff that she's inherited from other people probably as well as picked up at secondhand stores and um like i said when i went home and she was like oh do you want a sweater here are all the different various sweater patterns that you can look at One of the things about the, like, the material needs is sometimes when I've done crafting workshops, for example, I did a bookbinding workshop and it was a a higher priced workshop than maybe I'd done before, but the instructor ended up giving us all of the tools that we would need in order to continue, like, there's this bone thing that you use to fold the pages and some other stuff. A bone folder. Yes, exactly. And I was looking at- Not made um, of bone. (laughs) Might yes, be. it is made of bone. I think some of them are also just made of plastic. Probably. Some of them are made of plastic. I definitely have used one made of bone before. And I was looking at, in a local um, like textile weaving guild in my town, they do workshops as well, and it's the same kind of thing. They're going to provide all of the tools that you need and all of the material that you need in order to work through the thing, and that gives you a better idea of whether or not you want to do the thing in an ongoing way. And like speaking of maker spaces, they've got a loom that's a hundred feet long for some reason. So like if you want to do real fancy things, <laughs> really big blankets, um, this is this is the kind of place that you can go to and work on your exceptionally large uh textile crafts. I guess you could make a really long scarf. <laughs> you do <laughs> Yes, you could make a really long scarf. <laughs> For your Doctor Who cosplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you can knit that without a loom. That's true, too. It seems easier to make it on a loom, though, honestly. Is it? <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> Appeal factors? Make thing. <laughs> Dream about making thing. Yeah, even better. <laughs> look at look at things other people have made and think, I cannot make that. Pretty picture of thing. <laughs> or, I could make that thing... But I would make it a little different. And then not make the thing. A, a little different is a really nice way to say not as well. <laughs> no, you'd put the Doctor Who scarf on the Cthulhu monster. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I like cross-stitch is because if I follow the instructions, um, which is not difficult, it's just time-consuming, it looks really good at the end. Um Whereas like other thing like model making and stuff, there's so much more possibility of messing something up. I mean, honestly, the number of times that you told me, oh, shoot, I miscounted that and it still comes out looking fine at the end. Also, like I can like undo it relatively easy if I catch it soon enough. Yeah. So it's not the end of the world. Um, And also, yeah, if I screw up like two X's or out of like hundreds, nobody can tell. Yeah. I did. I used a a library res- used. I looked at. I looked at images on a library resource today. Um, we talked uh, a little bit earlier about how we may go to YouTube for for crafting needs rather than books. And I do think there are some things where it is very useful to be able to see the people doing the thing um, in a way that, like still images, it is difficult to to interpret. Uh, and there is, I don't know if if y'all's library systems have Creative Bug, but um, my library has a subscription to Creative Bug. Pretty sure that is the name of it, but it is a like a database of of crafting videos. Um, I poked around a little. I did not. Nothing jumped out at me right away as something I wanted to to watch in full. But uh, 
I do think like looking up crafts online, maybe not YouTube, YouTube might be slightly better, but there is definitely, I feel like it used to be easier to find crafting instructions online that you didn't have to pay for. There is now like a paywall thing happening where I will look up crafts to that, like that, I, you know, want to do at work at the library, um, kids crafts. Um, that's like, oh, here's our fun craft. And here's the template that you can pay us, you know, $7 to download and print out. Subscribe to my Patreon to get access to these designs. <laughs> right. Uh, and so... And, you know, uh, to some extent, it's like, I, you know, pe- the people who publish th- these, these patterns in books or whatever, you know, you're, you're paying for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you are looking for an alternative to, to books, if you're looking for an online, uh, craft advice or instructional experience, um, you can check if your library has creative bug. Uh, where they are, there's you're not going to get hit with a paywall before before you finish reading the instructions. Yeah, um, I would say like when I think of the appeal for all of these in general, it's um, uh, there is a definite satisfaction in making a thing, right? And uh, there's also I think a very common feeling that we spend less of our time creating and making and doing things with our own dexterity in hands um, these days than we used to do in the fa- past. Whether or not that's true, that, that is a feeling that I think is common. That's because we have video games now. Yeah, video games are awesome. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but given that, I think that that just feeds into like some of the appeal of these, whether or not you're ever going to make the craft is getting to enjoy that sense of like, oh, that would be a neat thing to be able to do. And so even on the aspirational level, there's a lot of pleasure in that. Um, and then for those people that do actually get into a specific craft, like once you're into it, you're always seeking new ideas, new ways, new creative components, um, tools, techniques, fun little ways of doing things that, um, that help you stretch your craft into whatever new arena that you want to stretch it into. So, and that's, that's fun. That's good. Make a thing. Doesn't have to be a fancy thing. Zines are great for this. You make great gifts, though. <laughs> a lot of the handicrafts. True. Although not always as much cheaper and affordable as you might hope once you get through getting all the materials and tools and things you need for them. <laughs> Think that through. And the like the amount of time is also like a, a big investment. Uh I feel like every time I've made a a crafted gift in the last few years it has taken me more time than i thought that it would even allowing for an ample amount of time but that is part of the gift that is part of the like giving a person a thing and being like i care about you so much i spent you know 10 hours doing this thing <laughs> so i did end up doing a craft this month but it wasn't any of the crafts that i got books for it was something that i got a template online for a, a paper mask and i made my halloween mask um, it's this giant eyeball with spikes around it so that I could be a cultist. Great. A plus. <laughs> and I was spooky. <laughs> so would we read this genre in the future? Calling it a genre seems wrong somehow. <laughs> I think like the the history ones, 
Um, and maybe not so much the pattern ones. I did have one idea for a craft I like wanted to do this month that for aforementioned reasons I didn't. Um, but I have a family member who is talking about wanting, uh, coasters and I was like, oh, I should like get a crochet book and, uh, learn how to make the little like granny squares coasters. But, uh, trying to look up a like very specific craft, not like a genre, like crochet or knitting or, or sewing, but like I have a specific project that I want to do and I don't know how to do it requires like a lot of, of like pulling lots of books and, and checking the table of contents for the specific craft that you want. And I've, you know, helped uh, library patrons do that before who were like looking for a specific craft, pulling stuff and, and checking around. But I think because of that issue, I am more likely to look online first than, than to look in a book if I, there is a specific craft I'm interested in. Yeah, especially for, for granny squares. That's like, I feel like there must be a ton of, of information on that. Yeah. But yeah, there we go. Uh, it's entirely plausible that there will be some period in my life in which I'll be like, oh, I should make this thing. Let's go look up a book and I will go make the thing and then probably will not make the thing. <laughs> so I can't say I won't. But for the most part, I have come to peace with the fact that I am not going to make a thing based on any of these craft books. And so I don't tend to go into those spaces, partially because I don't have an existing craft that I really upkeep my skills in and want to be seeking more information on. I think if I had that, then I'd be much more likely to to continue. Weirdly, considering my job, there is overlap between crafting and my job as a data librarian. Um, because of the area of data physicalization, which is turning data into physical objects, um, which is often done from people doing things like knitting, cross-stitch, uh, crochet, uh, quilting, all of those different things. Um, I've seen projects with people doing like cross-stitching COVID deaths at the beginning of COVID, like cross-stitching statistics and things like that. Uh, a colleague of mine ran a data weaving workshop earlier this year, which was about weaving data, like patterns into data. Um, and we want to do more with this. Um, and so I will be doing something hopefully over the next year with like running workshops and sharing ideas about how to create physical representations of data through various means, um, which is all kind of crafty, crafty stuff. Um, and like tied into that, it becomes my goal of like making weird data and things available. Um, and so like, Maybe I'll design a cross-stitch pattern of some data set and then put it into the institutional repository at my workplace and under a Creative Commons license uh, and just make it the most like academic craft possible. An extremely Matthew craft. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go find some bat statistics to uh, turn into a cross-stitch pattern. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. Could you get a spreadsheet about bats <laughs> that you turn into a cross-stitch pattern? Yep. Yes. Excellent. Put your uh, Creative Commons license on. Yeah, one hundred percent. That yep. is what we'll, that. Get come all back. The- come back next year and see what ha- if this exists. Hold me to it. <laughs> Get all the metadata in that record, just right. Oh no, there's also like that would be kind of an interesting one is to like cross stitch, uh, like or do something like that for the metadata for itself. Ooh, and so yeah. it's an object that describes itself. It's a uh, meta meta. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a little bit like a creepy pasta. <laughs>
that readme file is going to be like the entire instructions for how to learn how to do this particular like cross stitch, how yeah, to yeah. do this kind of craft. So, and if you make things, um, let us know. What do you make? Um, you know, send us an email or leave a comment somewhere. Um, how do you like crafting and how do you choose what to make next? Do you use books? Do you use websites? Do you use YouTube videos? Do you just make stuff up? Um, please let us know. Uh, as I'd be interested to know, I'm all, I don't know. I always like to know what people make. I think it's really interesting to learn that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the book club for masochists. Find us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and till that goes away and YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider giving us a positive rating and a review. If you've already done that, thank you very much. For all of our URLs and social media accounts, the four in our name is the numeral. You can go to our website at bookclub4m.com, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash bookclub4m, and find us on Instagram at bookclub4m. Our email address is bookclub4m at gmail.com. On our website, you can find show notes that will provide links to things we mentioned, social media info for everyone who appeared on this episode, and our genre-based book lists of titles by authors of color. You can suggest a genre or title for us to read or request a recommendation from us. Uh, we have a form you can fill out that is linked from our website. No promises on reading your suggestion, but we will give you a recommendation if you ask for one. All opinions are our own and do not reflect our places of employment if they exist. Book Club for Masochists is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is To Arrakis by Dark Sun from the Free Music Archive. New episodes are usually the first and third Tuesday of every month. There will hopefully be a bonus episode of some sort later this month. Not the usual thing, uh, but maybe you'll find it interesting. Mystery. Speaking of mystery, join us again on Tuesday, December 5th, when we'll be talking about the genre of suspense fiction. Then on Tuesday, December 19th, it's time for our favorite reads of 2023. Oh my god, the year is over. Oh my god. Did I read anything? Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to look at what books I read. I don't even have, I didn't even read picture books this year because I've been working in teens all year. So I don't have a bunch of nonfiction picture books to draw from like I usually do. Look, just talk about noodles. That's all we ever do in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I'm doomed. You're having all types of trouble with that mug. <laughs> you know, this tea thing is not going well for me this evening. <laughs> Uh, no, cookie bat. Cookie jar. Yeah, it's a cookie jar bat. A bat-shaped cookie jar. I haven't named it. It's not <laughs> no, it's that true. Adapted. It's not yet named, but still. Probably will get named at some point. I know. <laughs> I do wish I had read Join Us for the Genre of Suspense Fiction as like, who'll be talking about the genre of? <laughs> suspense Fiction. <laughs>